Every church has the same mission, but how that mission is accomplished can and should be different. There are many ways to do what Jesus commissioned us to do, make disciples. At Vintage, we believe there are four things we can provide that when fully engaged will inspire you to live and love like Jesus. In this series, we will walk you through these four parts of our vision. Our deep belief is when you make the effort to get involved in all four, you are equipped to grow in your faith and be the disciple Jesus has called each of us to be. Good morning. Woo! How's everybody doing? Yes? Everybody good? Good, you are here, so I know that's like one point in the good column, right? I love being at Vintage Church. I especially love when I have the opportunity to preach from this platform. Um, Matt has been gone for the last couple of weeks, and he posted on Instagram um, earlier this week a picture of him preaching, and it was all about, I miss preaching, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, no, 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 buddy, not this week. Nah, not this week. And then he shows up this morning, and I'm like, you kidding me? (laughs) But... I love that we have a pastor who loves to be here so much that he would give up a day of vacation just so that he could be with us again. How cool is that? (laughs) All right, so you are here for the third part of our This is Vintage series. This is our vision series, and we do this every couple of years just to remind ourselves um, and to teach Those of you who are new here, why we do what we do. We have a mission that's written out on the wall in the lobby. This is a mission that was given to us by Jesus before he left the earth. You can read about this in the Gospels in multiple places where he said, go and teach all people to be my disciples, teach them to obey my commands, teach them and baptize them, and I will be with you through all of it. And we kind of took his, that commission, and we just put it into the language of, we exist to inspire to live, we exist, man, to inspire people to live in love like Jesus. That is why we exist. That is something that will never change. It will never change for us, and it will never change for any church because that is the purpose of the church universal. That will never change, and that's why it is written on the wall. Now, while Jesus said, this is why you do church, the Bible is not as direct with how we do church. That piece is something that is going to vary over the course of time. And aren't you so thankful that it does? The church today does not look exactly like it did 2,000 years ago. Aren't you glad you have air conditioning this morning? Me too, okay? So we have some variance in how we do church. Now, through reading the Bible, through seeing the life of Jesus and really examining the early church and how they did church, we have come away with four main things, four main pieces of our vision. Now, vision is how we will accomplish the mission. And there are four pieces to it. And through this series, we're talking about each of these four things. The first thing, oh, and I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say these four things will actually never change. But what they look like absolutely will. So let's talk about this. We've got experience. 
experience. We know that you and us as believers, we need an experience, that we, a place where we can come, we can gather under one roof where we can worship together and we can learn the truth of God's word. That's this. That's the weekend worship gathering. That's us coming into this, this place and singing songs and our kids learning about Jesus and us learning about Jesus. That's what the experience is. Now, I can already tell you that in the 10 years that Vintage has existed, this looks very, it looks very different today than it did 10 years ago. 10 years ago, it looked like sitting in Matt and Ashley Smith's living room. And then it looked like meeting at the Adams Farm Swim Club. And then it looked like Southern Guilford Middle School. And we had, at Southern Guilford Middle School, it was like an amphitheater situation. And there, we didn't have lighting. And we didn't, we, y'all, we didn't even, we didn't have money for like things that, to make stuff look pretty. And so we would go around the school and we would borrow, um, with full permission, ficus trees. And we would sit the ficus trees on the stage so that at least it would look like we tried. Uh, so if you hear people say that they were part of the ficus tree club, they belonged to the group of people who walked around and borrowed um, ficus trees from, from the school. It doesn't look like that anymore. But the experience is still the same. It's still the heart of it is still that we want to have a place where we can gather and worship and where we can learn the truth of God's word. The second piece, yes, there you go. The second piece is atmosphere. And you heard about this last week. We know that it is essential that you have an atmosphere where you can come and build lifelong, life-giving relationships that will hold you accountable, and give you support. And we do that through groups. We have life groups and we have community groups and we have different community events and experiences so that you, you can get to know the people around you and more than just that handshake that you just did. Because we know that you need that in order to grow in your faith. Now, the way that looked like 10 years ago, we, we called them get fed groups. And our whole church had three. We had three groups in our whole church. We had a Greensboro Get Fed group, a Randleman Ashboro Get Fed group, and a Pleasant Garden Get Fed group. And I was part of the Greensboro Get Fed group, and there was about eight of us who met in our tiny apartment living room. And now, this past semester, we just, we just finished a life group semester of 23 different life groups and numerous community groups throughout this church. It looks different, but the heart is still the same. Today, we're gonna be talking about opportunity. And next week, platform, and I'm not gonna give that away. I'll let Matt do that next week. Today, we're going to talk about opportunity. Now, all of these four things are essential, and none of these four things can stand alone. This is not like sweet frog where you get to go in and you get your ice cream and then you pick your toppings. Okay, I like, yes, I love that experience, and I really love the life groups, but I don't really want to do anything else. We don't get to do that. In order to totally live in love like Jesus, we have to do all 
four of those things. So I hope that as we walk through this series, that you find ways to engage in each of these four things, not because we are asking something from you, but because we want something for you, and that is a deep and very real relationship with Jesus and the people who he calls his church. So today, let's talk about opportunity. We want you to have an opportunity to discover and deploy your God-given gifts in serving others and advancing the ministry of his church. Let's go line by line. I like words, okay? Words are really important, and I don't ever want you to think that we put language on there just so that it's like, it's not fluff, there is a lot of substance here, and I never want to make sure, I want to make sure that we never just gloss or skate through it. We want you to have an opportunity to discover and deploy your God-given gifts. Discover. We want you to know what your gifting is. Now, you might think that the best way for you to know what your gifts are is to take what is called a spiritual gifts inventory. That's like a religious BuzzFeed quiz, that you can answer all of these questions and then it will spit out at the end what your spiritual gift is. We do not employ the use of spiritual gifts inventory because a test is only as accurate as you are honest. And a lot of times the results of that test only reflect what you are experiencing or what you enjoy or what you've been given the opportunity to engage in during that season. So we don't think that a test is totally adequate in helping you to discover what your gifts are. Also, a spiritual gifts inventory test isn't going to hold you accountable for the results that it gives. It's not going to be the thing that walks alongside you and trains you and equips you in order to serve. It's not going to send you an email and say, hey, so I know you have the gift of administration and hospitality, so have you been hospitable this week? They don't do that. So we encourage you, instead of the test situation, that you discover your gift by doing. We invite you to just start serving. That The best way for you to know the way that God is, has gifted you is for you to actually do something. Whether it's where you end up or not, you just need a, a first place. And we have a lot of teams across our campus, which I'll list in just a few minutes. But there is a place for you to serve. And it might not be your forever place, but maybe it's the right now place. It's a place where you can start to, first of all, connect to people. Because when you take that step and you say, hey, Jasmine, I want to start serving, then I can say, hey, I see, I see you. Okay, let's talk about this. Let's have that conversation. Let me introduce you to that ministry leader. Let me tell you about how to get started. Let me tell you when to show up. Because a, a person can do that and a test cannot. Also, when you start serving, you very quickly see the things that bring you joy, the things that are life-giving. And you also see a place where you are really needed. And it might be in a place that you never thought it would be. You might find joy in a very unlikely way of service. So we want you to, dis to, to discover your God-given gift by doing. Now, that next part 
says that we want you to use your God-given gifts. We believe, because we believe the Bible, that each of you has been gifted by God in such a way that you can serve others and advance the ministry of the church, and you might totally disagree with that. You might say, Jasmine, I can't sing. I can't speak or teach. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't do those kids. I ain't got none of the spiritual gifts. I ain't got, no, you do. There are a lot of gifts. Maybe you have the gift of time. Maybe you have, maybe you're between jobs. Maybe you're retired. Maybe you, maybe it's summertime and you're waiting to go to college. Maybe you have the gift of time. That is a God-given gift for this season. Maybe you have the gift of a car that can bring you to and from here. Maybe you have the gift of resources and you can help provide things for other people. There are so many gifts that you have been given. And if you feel like you really don't have any, will you come talk to me? That is one of my favorite things to do is to help people discover the gifts that God has planted and placed inside of them. I would, I'm so serious. You can email me, jasmine at vintagechurch.net. That's not on the screen. It's J-A-S-M-Y-N. I'm serious. Totally email me. Come talk to me in the lobby because we believe that you have a God-given gift. Now, you have this gift for a very specific reason, and that is so that you can serve others and advance the ministry of the church. Now, serving is simply doing something for others so that they don't have to do it themselves, right? What we have noticed is that a lot of times we come into this room in order to be served rather than to serve. We come into this building as a consumer and not as a contributor. We come into this place and we expect free child care and clean bathrooms and hot coffee and a handful of mints and we want the volume of the music to be at a palatable level and we want to sing our favorite song and we want to hear a message that's good and inspiring but isn't going to step on our toes. But what if What if the church was a place that instead of every person walking into this room like they were owed something or that they need, like that they deserved something or that they were here to be served? What if everybody, what if everybody in this room, you, what if you in this room walked in ready to serve? What if you walked in and thought, how can I contribute in order to make these things happen? How can I contribute to providing free childcare for us during our gatherings? How can I help with that? How can I contribute to making sure that there are clean bathrooms and hot coffee and handfuls of mints? How can I contribute to what happens in this room? How can I contribute to make sure that the ministry of this church continues? What if everybody did that? I want you to just think, what would a Sunday or what would a Monday look like if everybody who walked into this building came in to serve? How would that change your morning? 
How would that change what you did this morning or the attitude in which you came in this morning or the way that you saw volunteers that morning? What does it change? What does your morning look like if you serve rather than come in here and expect to be served? What does your morning look like? I'm going to be quiet for just a second. It's a little different. We have at Vintage Church 280 volunteers. Now, that might seem like a very large number, right? That number has not changed a whole lot in the past few years. The thing that has changed is the number of people who attend Vintage Church. It's like we have the same number of people pushing the bus, but the bus is getting bigger. But it's the same people who keep pushing the bus. Maybe it is time for you to push the bus. Maybe you came in here and for a season you needed to sit. You needed to heal. You needed some time. You needed to see what is all of this about. But instead of moving in the direction of action, you have stayed in your seat. Because maybe you think we have enough people. Maybe you think, oh, there's so many people. Somebody's, somebody will do that. There's no way that you need volunteers. Y'all, we need 80, at least 80 volunteers every single day gathering. And that's just to, to meet the bare minimum. That's not to do like what we dream. That's not to do like anything that's going to move us forward. That's to maintain where we are right now. This morning in host team for the nine o'clock gathering, I needed 25 volunteers. Do you know how many I had? 11. And I will tell you, there were more than 11 people who sat in that gathering. Same thing with this one. And I know you don't like this. Guys, I know this is not fun to hear. But if you are sitting there and you're thinking like, God, she's real mad about that. <laughs> Maybe you're the one that needs to hear this. Okay? Maybe you're the one that needs to serve. Maybe you're sitting there and you're feeling like, I ain't liking this because you're the one that's not doing it. Okay? Listen. We love that you have found a place that you call home. And we love that you have found a place where you belong. But I don't know about you, but at my home, I got to do something. Nobody else comes in and does my dishes at my house. If this is your home, treat it that way. I know it's not fun to hear, guys. <laughs> Y'all, we've got to do this, okay? And it's not because we're sitting around saying, like, what kind of jobs can we make people do? It's not that, okay? We want to be the body of Christ. We want to live and love like him. And no one outside of Jesus, served better than he did. And I want us to look at what he did this morning.
Oh, before I go there, can I tell you a story? Is that cool? Because I know I sound fussy right now. <laughs> okay, I know. I'm a mother of three. I can get that way. <laughs> um, there are a lot of people in our church who serve so faithfully and so beautifully. And some of these stories that I'm going to tell you right now, you might not ever know because it's not something that would be publicized or probably they, they wouldn't even tell you themselves. So I'm going to tell you some stories. We were about four years into Vintage Church, and up until that time, my husband, Lyle, who was the worship pastor at the time, and myself, we were the only worship leaders at Vintage. We led worship every single Sunday. And I, at that time, was great with child, like great scary with child. And it became apparent that I was not going to be able to continue in this role um, for a season. So we had a young girl, she was probably 17 at the time, who said, hey, I really would love to lead worship at Vintage. And so she sang for us, and um, we talked to her for a while, and we're like, yeah, you're a great fit. And she, um, she started leading worship. Well, after I had the baby, his name is Judas, not just the baby, had our first child. Um, I was ready to start leading worship again, but I had this baby. And my plan was just to bring him and sit him in like a car seat on the stage beside me and, you know, through rehearsal and everything, maybe with some headphones on and he'd be fine. And that, that's just how we were going to roll. We don't have family here. Um, and a couple of weeks before I was ready to start leading worship again, this, this girl came to me and she said, hey, what are you going to do with Judah while, while you lead? And I was like, I really, I don't know. I mean, I think I'll probably just bring him with me and he can just stay in his car seat on stage. He'll be fine. And she was like, well, what if I came and I took care of him so that you can conserve? And I was like, are you kidding? You're like, you're 17 years old and you want to wake up and drive 30 minutes in order to be at a middle school that may or may not have heating, that may or may not have air conditioning, at 7 o'clock in the morning and keep my child for a couple of hours so that I can serve? She's like, yeah, I'd love to. This same girl still keeps our children, and we love her very much. She also keeps your children. And she leads worship every week in our elementary V kids. And her name is Caitlin Johnson. And she's sitting right there. She did not know that I was going to tell that story. And I was not prepared for her to be sitting there while I told that story. <laughs> she saw a need. She saw that she had the ability to meet that need and she did it. It's very simple, straightforward. We have a group of people, a team of people, who provide food for our volunteers. Um, all of our volunteers get breakfast 
on Sundays and get dinner on Monday nights. So if you want to serve for no other reason, come and get something to eat. Um, it's delicious. <laughs> um, but we have a team of people who do that. They come in here on Saturday while we're all at the lake or whatever we're doing. And they put out, they get food ready. They get all the coffee ready for us to have. And then they come early Sunday morning, set everything out, make sure everything's ready to go. And then when you walk out of this building, they walk into the back to the kitchen sink and they wash every single dish by hand. We don't have a dishwasher. Hand wash every single dish, dry it and put it away so that it's ready for the next time that we need it in order to serve our volunteers. On Monday nights, the same thing happens. So we have people who work an eight-hour job, leave work, come here, set up food for our volunteers. And then when everybody leaves, after they have been away from their home for more than 12 hours, they go back into that kitchen and they wash those dishes and they dry those dishes and they put them away for the next time that they need to serve our volunteers. I'll tell you their names. It's Casey, Christy. I wrote them down because I I knew that I would forget this. Okay. Caitlin. Nope, not Caitlin. (laughs) Sorry. Sherry, Casey, Crystal, Rhonda, Christy, and Josh. Thank you. Did anybody in here get coffee this morning or get mints? Yeah? All right, good deal. What do you do with it when you're done? Please don't say you put it in the floor. What do you do with it? (laughs) Do you put it in the trash can? What happens to that trash when you leave here? It magically disappears. No, there is a man named Greg Hicks who, after the 11 o'clock gathering, goes to each of these trash cans. And he takes the old trash out. He puts a new bag in. He goes down the kids' hallway. He gets all of the trash, and he takes it out to the dumpster. You would never know it, and you would never see it, but he does it faithfully every single week because he doesn't want you to walk into a place that smells bad or has flies or ants. He cares for you. He serves you by doing that. We have have a man named Larry Price who shows up here on Mondays during the day and resets our building so that we can have gatherings on Monday night. He sweeps, he vacuums the kids' spaces, he cleans the bathrooms, and he sweeps all the cigarette butts off the sidewalk out in front of the building. And he does that every single week, not because we ask him and not because he gets a paycheck, but because he sees a need and he sees that he has the ability to meet that need, and so he does it. Why do they do what they do? Them and all, guys, I wish that I could spend this entire time telling you stories because I've got them. But why do they do it? They do it. And I, y'all, I actually asked them, I said, why do you do this? And here's the answer that I got. We do it because we love God and we love people. It all boiled down to that. We want to do for someone else what somebody else has done for us. And that's exactly what Jesus did. 
We serve because Jesus commanded it and he modeled it. He makes this point repeatedly in the Gospels, both in word and action. Matthew 20, 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A follower of Jesus cannot truly know him or be like him unless we act like him. We can read about him and study his character. We can dissect his interactions with the disciples and with the people that he encountered. And we can funnel it down into this beautiful formula of how to live and love like Jesus. But none of it means a single thing if we don't do anything about it. So what did, what did he actually do? What is this model that Jesus set? He set it in the upper room on the day before his death. Let's look at John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, what a resume, got up from supper and laid aside his garments. And taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured the water into the basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now, this room that they would have been in would have had a doorway and a place to put their shoes when they came in. And then there would have been a table, and around the table were maybe pillows or some sort of um, inclined couch leading up to the table. And they didn't sit at a table like we do with their feet under it. They actually sat at the table and kind of leaned and laid, and their feet would have been exposed to the person next to them. Now, they walked on streets that were also walked by animals where there was poop. And they also walked in places where people would dump their chamber pots. Their feet were not clean. But the disciples were also not people of high class. They were not high class citizens. They may not have always had their feet washed when they walked into a room or when they were ready to eat. But it was something that would have been done typically during this period. Now, the passage says that the the basin was there. The towel was there, but there was no one there to wash their feet. They all came over to the table where they sat and they were, they were going to eat. And y'all, those feet stunk, okay? They did not walk around in absorbent socks and gold bond-filled shoes. It would have not smelled good. And there is nothing less appetizing than the smell and or sight of feet. They all would have known this, and everybody around them would have, like all the disciples would have known, like, whew, somebody needs to wash somebody's feet. But no one got up to do it, because if they had, it would have been an admission that they were the lowest of the low in that room. And none of those disciples got up to do it. But Jesus, 
who was from God, who was returning to God, he is the one who got up, who took the towel and took the basin and washed his disciples' feet. Verse 12, so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? I'm sure it was as silent as it is right now. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then I, the Lord, and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. I don't think that he meant for us to go around literally washing one another's feet. Don't worry, we're not going to do a foot washing service right now, okay? I think that he did this because he wanted to set that precedence of there is nothing that is below your station. There is nothing that is below your position. There is nothing that is below your education, your profession. There is nothing that is below your preference or your gender or your race. There is nothing that you are going to be asked to do that is beneath you because I have already done the lowest of the low thing and you are to follow my example. And in his kingdom, there is no just. You don't just hold a door. You don't just hold a baby because that implies that it's too, it's, it's low. It's like, oh, you mean you, you just want me to stand in the parking lot? Oh my gosh, do you know what I did at my last church? No. Jesus went even lower than that, okay? Lower than standing in the parking lot, all right? You can do it too, and he told us to do it. It was his command. It is in the act of serving that we reveal the truest reflection of the heart of Jesus. So if you're here because you want to inspire people to live in love like Jesus, if you're not serving, you're not doing it. This is how you tell people who Jesus is. It is through serving. But that's not the only reason that we serve, even though that set the standard. We also serve because it contributes to the building up of the body of Christ. See, Jesus knew that his physical time on earth was limited, that he couldn't stay with us forever and ever and ever. So he left the world, us, as the physical Example, not, no, 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 I'm sorry. As the physical body of Jesus. We often think that the body of Christ is a metaphor, but it is not. It is an actual, literal, physical, tangible thing because it is the person you are and the person that you are sitting beside. You are the body of Christ. And this is, Guys, it's so important. We have to get this right. The being the body, it is essential if we want this to to be what it's supposed to be because the way we treat each other, that's the Jesus that people will see. A lot of times you hear people say like, well, you might be the only Jesus that somebody sees today. And that, you know, that might be true. And that doesn't mean, you know, don't be nice to people at Walmart. But it's not just about you. 
Jesus is revealed in the way that we treat one another, in the way that we talk to one another, in the way that we talk about one another. It's the way we love one another. It's in the way we serve one another. It's in the way that we provide for one another and we care for one another. If you want people to see Jesus, you start doing that for your brothers and your sisters in Christ. That's fine. You can clap. You could. Don't be shy. If we want to be like Jesus, then the whole body, the whole one, every single person must serve. Because only then will the church resemble the Christ that we worship. People point to the church and say, hypocrites, and some, they're right. Okay? Because we don't match the Jesus that we say we love. We've got to close that gap. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. I love this passage, and we've hit it every single week of this series, and I'd like to read part of it again to you today. Verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. That's the measure. That's when you're done. Is when you have grown up into him. From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for the building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. You are part of a body. And I know that sometimes we get stuck on the, well, I'm a hand. Like, you know, that passage in 1 Corinthians, it's chapter 12, where it talks about everybody is like a different body part. And sometimes we say like, well, I'm a finger. And I'm only going to do the things that fingers do. Like, so if it's not a finger job, I can't do it. But how many times does your own body use different body parts to make up for maybe what another part lacks during a time. Think about a person who is blind and they, their eyes don't work in the, in the way that they were designed to. Don't their fingers work like their eyes? And even if you're injured, maybe you hurt your knee, doesn't the rest of your body compensate for what that knee can't, can't bear, the load it can't bear, in order that it may heal and in its right time can resume its regular function. So sometimes you might be a finger, but you have to do the job of an eye. Sometimes you might, you might be a foot, but you have to do the job of the whole leg. Just because you feel like that's not exactly where you fit, if you see a hole and you see a need and you are living and you are breathing, do whatever you can to meet that need. So let's talk for a second. Why don't you serve? Okay, let's just be honest. Not everybody in this room serves. 
okay? It's just the reality. Why don't you serve? Here's what we hear, okay? When, when we come up to somebody and say, hey, what team do you serve with? They say, oh, yeah, well, I'm, I actually don't serve right now um, because I don't really think it's needed. I'm like, really? We must do a really good job of making it look like. But, guys, you are absolutely needed. Maybe you feel like it's not your responsibility or it's not your gifting, and I feel like we've gone over this. If you see a need and you can meet it, do it. But I want to show you, you, want, you don't think you're needed? Let me show you our teams here at Vintage Church. Our V-Kids team, that's the team that cares for all of our kids, birth all the way up to eighth grade, every single gathering. Our Vintage students, that's our middle school and high school ministry. Our host team, that's everybody you see from the parking lot to the greeters to the welcome table, and people you don't see on our hospitality team. Our facilities team, this is our team that helps take care of the trash and the bathrooms. Our security team that watches out for things while you are in this room so that you don't have to. Our prayer team that comes in Sunday mornings and through the week and audibly prays for like an hour for this gathering, for you. We have a Serve the City team. They're, they're the ones who put together all those boxes that you see in the lobby every other month. We have a media team who takes all the pictures that you see on social media. We have a production team who takes care of all of our lighting and our sound. And, and this that you see on the screen right now is because we have an awesome production team. Our worship team who serves us every single week by leading us in worship. Our group leaders that want to invite you into a place where you can build relationships. These are our teams. This won't be our forever list. I want this list to be so long because we need to find places for every single person in this room. But y'all, right now, we need people on these teams. And you can serve there. Get started today. Here's the, here's the other thing here. Well, I don't want to miss worship. If I serve... I'm going to miss worship. I love what happens in this room. I love coming in here, and I love singing praise with other believers, and I love hearing a message. But, guys, if we think that this is what worship is and is only what worship is, we have really missed something great. Because Romans 12, 1 says that we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, and that that is our spiritual act of worship. That our act of worship is giving our whole lives. It's not of singing a song. And you can worship God holding a tiny little baby, acknowledging, yes, guys, acknowledging that this baby that you are holding in your hand has 10 perfect fingers and 10 perfect toes and these tiny little ears that look just like yours except like miniature version and that God made this child. And you can worship him doing that. And you leave tired, but that's okay because you leave full and full and you gave someone else the opportunity to be in this room and that is also worship. So don't tell me you don't want to miss worship, and that's why you don't serve. Maybe you say, yeah, but I, I just, I'm here because I just, I want to learn more about Jesus, and I just want to know more about the Bible. You will not learn more about Jesus or the Bible by just sitting in this seat. There is nothing that will teach you more about Jesus than serving one another. Here's the biggest one. I can't commit. 
I can't. I, I don't know where we're going to be, and we travel a lot. I can't commit. Or I need a break. I just I really need a break. Or this is my favorite one. I've served my time. Like it was a prison sentence. <laughs> I heard this all growing up. Well, I served my time in the nursery. Guys, I don't, know, I don't know where we got the idea that our time would ever be up. We have this idea that, that, that we get to stop. That we like, we do this one thing and we've checked that serve box. Oh, I served you, Lord. Check. But Jesus says this in John chapter 12. Verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's look at Luke chapter 17. Here's, this is for all of you who's like, I don't have time to that, or I already did it. I've already served. Here's what Jesus says to you. This is not me, Jesus. Which one of you having a servant, tending sheep or plowing, will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? Instead, will he not tell him, his servant, prepare something for me to eat. Get ready and serve me while I eat and drink. Later, you can eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did what he was commanded? In the same way, When you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are worthless servants. We have only done our duty. That we are not owed anything. We could never repay God for what he gave to us. So we don't ever get to stop. I understand that sometimes there are seasons that we need to to rest and seasons that we need to sit. But don't stay in that seat. I think we have this idea that serving God is like, we'll do it for a season, and then we're just going to kind of coast until we die. And maybe we'll do things, you know, and that might be morbid, but we'll just kind of float along, and then we die. And then we get to heaven, and we're like, Jesus, and he's like, who are you? Do I know you? Wait, you served me? Really? Because I, I, I look at your life, and it looks like you live a life serving yourself. I don't want God to say that about me. And I don't want him to say that about our church. For him to be like, hey, Vintage, what? what's up? Like, why? what? What were you supposed to be doing? Did you do it? Instead, I think that we should serve the Lord in such a way that we never feel compelled to relent, that we never feel like we've given our due. We should serve him in such a way that when we show up to heaven with sweat on our brow and we collapse at his feet, both in worship and exhaustion, that he picks up our chin and he looks us in the eye and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. That is the life that I want to live because I want to live it for him because he's given me so much 
more than I could ever repay. And that's what I want for you as well. Alexander McLaren said, there are too many of us who profess to be quite willing to trust Jesus as the cleanser of our souls who are not nearly so willing to accept his example as the pattern of our lives. Let that not be said of us. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Today is a day of action. Today is a day that you do something. And what is it that you are to do? Well, first, if you are not serving right now, today, I want you to sign up to serve. You can do that through the app. You can do that by taking that welcome card out, put your information on it, make a third check box that says, I want to serve. And then take it to the welcome table. Maybe you've signed up to serve, but you've never done it, or maybe you've not done it in a long time. You today, you need to show up. If you've signed up, I challenge you to show up. Show up next Sunday. Say, hey, I'm here and I want to be used today. We will make it happen. You can come tomorrow night. We have a Monday night gathering. You can serve tomorrow night. And we need you. To those who do show up faithfully, week in and week out, thank you. My challenge to you this morning is to step up. Look at what you are currently doing and ask God, what more do you want me to do? Because I know you want me to keep going. What is that more? If you don't know what it is, but you know that you wanna do more, talk to your ministry team leader and say, hey, what can I do that's, that's more than what I'm currently doing? And if you are one of those people, and we have so many, who have signed up and showed up and stepped up and you keep stepping up. Thank you. Keep doing it and bring someone alongside you. Guys, Jesus set the example of living a life of a servant. Will you follow his example? God, this is your time. We are yours. Do with us what you will. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. To stay connected with what's happening at Vintage, download the Vintage Church app to access sermon notes, events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to get connected in community. We hope you join us again soon.